Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is your guest host, Andy Cohen. No, I'm not hijacking Matt and Matt's podcast. I'm simply sitting in because I did a special recording for them during DevCon 2009. They'd had a special panel discussion hosted by Matt Navarre called The Six Secrets of Successful FileMaker Consulting Business. This is a live recording. It's in binaural stereo, so it's probably best heard in head with headphones or earbuds, but it should sound okay over speakers. Um, remember, this was a crowded room, so the sound goes high and low fairly quickly, which is why it's probably best heard with headphones or earbuds. Um, let's see. I have to split the show into two different episodes because of its length. So here comes part one. My name is Matt Navar. We're going to be having a discussion on the six secrets of running a successful consulting business and also hopefully releasing this, only six, and hopefully releasing this as an episode of the uh, Biomaker Talk podcast and Dan West is in the room, maybe the Adidas Hall podcast. I love it. Awesome. Can I record now? And we've got also uh, Biomaker Success Tips podcast representing the room, so maybe we can just send this out for everyone in the world. So we've got a, a panel of experts here, um, although I wasn't invited to be on the panel, I am very <laughs> to be the moderator, I guess, the voice. Um, and I'm going to ask him some tough questions and hope to get a lot of fighting uh, and uh, with a few people there. So I'd like to in, in introduce people and have them talk very, very briefly about um, why their experience are going to make their answers the best, and then we'll get into some of the really good uh, points that we're going to get to. Okay, I'll start. Yeah, I'll start here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start right over here. With <laughs> All right, uh, I'm Molly Connolly. I work for myself. I live in Chicago. I've been in consulting for ten years. And the reason I wanted to go first is because my. Stand up, please. Oh, can oh, you hear me better if I stand up? And Martha, will you tell me if you can hear me? Yes. Okay, good. Yes, you can go like this if it's not loud enough. Um, Molly Connolly. Anyway, the reason I wanted to go first is because Matt's question was. Why are your answers going to be better than everybody else's? And mine's because I've worked all these guys and I've already stolen their secrets. So, I'm the one. I mean, that's it. Jesse. Jesse Barnum, ladies and gentlemen. Hi. I'm Jesse Barnum. I'm president of 360 Works. We're based in Atlanta. We have eight people in Atlanta doing FileMaker development and plugin development, one person in San Francisco, which is my brother Sam. Um, and we've been in business since 96. Uh, we've, we've dealt with not that many like huge enterprise customers. I, I have a feeling that uh, my experience might be different from some other people's because we've dealt a lot more with small and medium-sized businesses. Um, and uh, I think we have a little bit of an old-fashioned approach in, in some ways to like hiring and, uh, and, and work, and so I might prevent a, a, a different perspective than some of the other people in the panel. Hi, I'm Kirk Bowman from Mighty Data. Uh, we're based in Dallas with a few other offices. We've also been in business since 96. Uh, we're currently a team of five and a half people, and we specialize in the tough stuff. We saw our shirts at breakfast. Um, I enjoy working with uh, integration projects, projects that require pulling a lot of pieces together, and so I think I'm bringing that perspective to How many employees? Five and a half. So you went on that one. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jonathan Stark, and I'm from Providence, Rhode Island. I work for myself. Um, I aggressively do not hire people. It's sort of part of my whole business model to not have employees. So, um, geez, I don't know what to say. What kind of work do I do? I do PHP, mostly PHP integration with FileMaker and other databases. So a lot of websites, iPhone web apps, that kind of thing. I wrote a book on the FileMaker API, and I'm writing a book now for iPhone on iPhone web apps for O'Reilly. So um, 
I don't know, I'm looking forward to this. It probably is much to anyone here, so hopefully it'll be fun. So one of the many sparks that this whole thing got off with was uh, when you were on the Filemaker Talk podcast, you talked about your value-based building. And that sparked a pretty big discussion that's still going on, even though the episode was a couple of months ago. So uh, how did you arrive at that building model, and how's it working out for you? And what is uh, it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the short answer is to the second question, which is working out great. <laughs> Um, and the first question was, how did I arrive at that? Uh, well, what is it? Maybe, maybe okay, well, what is it? Answer the last one first. It's kind of a, it's kind of a long answer in a way. Um, but in a nutshell, for project work, I do a lot of different kinds of, of, offer a lot of different kinds of services. But specifically for projects, um, I pick a number, you know, and I, I give a fixed bid for the project, and that's the number. And if, it, if I think it's going to take me two weeks to do the project and ends up taking two years, then that's my problem. And the customer never gets charged another dime, and I'm on it till they own me until it's done. Uh, which obviously probably sounds risky to a lot of people who are used to billing by the hour. But uh, I, uh, when I was at the Meyer Group, I was at the Meyer Group for five years or something. And as the vice president, I had to fight a lot about, about a lot of invoices, and I had to spend a lot of time tracking people's hours and making sure they had their hours in. And I literally one day it hit me like a flash that uh, that all the effort that we were doing to manage the hours and, and try and you know bring profitable and, and you know, growing company uh, was we were trying to solve an inherent problem. You know when you're working on a software project and really the problem isn't this the company's software, it's that the company is screwed up <laughs> and the software is not going to fix it. I think hourly billing is screwed up and all of the time tracking the world is not going to solve that. So I presented the idea to the, uh, the brass at the time and it was not going to work in the culture and I, I basically decided to put my money where my mouth was and go off and do it on my own. Can I ask a question? <laughs> Actually, I was just about to say bachelorette number two, same question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love the concept of belly building, and I've been able to do it in a couple of couple of instances, but typically if it's a very small scope, um, and if I'm the only one doing the work. And are so, Totally underestimating the scope of, of 
what they needed. So when I, I, I put the bid together anyway, and they were like, oh, no, no, you know, because they, they weren't going to do anything with it that was going to make them enough money for it to make sense to pay me that much money. So I, I do lose a lot of business that way, or, or lose a lot of quotes don't get accepted because of that. Which isn't a bad thing, though, right? No, no, not at all. The solution is to get gigantic customers. I see a question coming. I'm going to try to hold most of them to the end. I, well, I would just love to know from the audience how many people understand the concept and, and have done value-based stuff. Right. How many people understand it? That's um, pretty much everybody. How many people have actually done projects with it? How many people are going to try it? Wow. Right. So now to those people, I say, I enter the and you actually mentioned that You've tried it on a couple of projects, but my whole business is built around the concept, and it's very difficult to just do a project like that. Okay, it's either or. It's kind of from, I do some hourly work, but not projects. So, well done. Can we try the whole questions? Because we're going to have a lot of these, unless they're really burning, I guess, yeah. So how do you build hourly? Or how do you build? <laughs> Sorry, and how much are your shoes worth? <laughs> um, so, so I also have a couple different kinds of work I do. There's the straight up custom software development. I'm doing a lot less programming these days. So I'm assuming we're talking mostly about programming. So if we're doing programming projects, really? my work in general. Okay, well, let's, I, and maybe this is an interesting part, but I'm distinguishing two pieces. So I'm doing some work that's, marketing, advisory, coaching type work. So I'm working with a client that is either trying to define the spec of their project, and then they're going to go out and take it to bid. Or I'm working with other companies, like with Mighty Data or with uh, 360 Works, that guy over there. And so and we're working on like specific projects. Uh, you know, We're doing promotion, or we're working on hiring somebody, or that kind of thing. So for the... Uh, but the kind of stuff I'm doing with these guys, we'll sit down and we do value building. We'll say, okay, what, what are our objectives? What are we going to do? What does it, you know, what does it make sense between all of us? And so that I would say is value building, right? That's, and we base it a little bit on time. How much of my time is it going to take? What's it worth to you guys? Um, but then for my for my project billing, I, I definitely go through the whole. If I'm looking at a project and I'm scoping out a contact database or whatever it is, I go through a bunch of different estimating techniques. One is, you know, I'll try and start and say, well, what's it What's it worth to this client, right? Which it should be up here, and I'm trying, and that's in my sales process. I'm trying to say, you know what? This is going to save you this much time. This is going to, you know, reduce duplication of effort. You try and pull out all those factors and say, you know, it's it's worth twenty five thousand to you, and here's why. But then I flip through it, and I also break down, you know, how many layouts is it going to be? How much? How many change orders am I going to allow? So I'm I'm kind of stuck in both because I end up I base it on hourly. So that's really well, we tend to do larger projects, um, so we really treat everything hourly. Um, what do you mean by larger projects? Like hundreds of hours, millions of dollars? I mean, what, starting at 100 hours and up. Okay. Um, and typically for clients where there's some you know, corporate uh, hierarchy that we have to so go So what through. you meant by the tough stuff wasn't, wasn't just this really nasty thing that would only take an expert four hours to do. It's like... This is a really big whole subsystem that's going to require 100 hours of stuff. Okay. Yeah, I think mean, I had that wrong in my head. A lot of our customers, you know, have IT departments that we have to integrate with. It's, it's very common. I was in two of these meetings the week before I came here, where we're meeting with the client, you know, kind of the, the champion, the sponsor, and the IT department, and we're trying to bring all that to the table. Um, 
but those kind of projects we do hourly. And I just stress to the clients, we don't do fixed price billing. We are hourly. I'll give you an estimate. If you need a fixed price, we're going to treat that as a bucket of hours. Once those hours are exhausted, you're going to need more funding. And what I've found is it's a qualification for the customer. If the customer is not happy with that approach, they're not fit for us. I think that consultants are just like doctors and attorneys. They're not everyone's the good fit. And so for me, it's how I run my, it, it, kind of like you said, that's your business model. Mm -hmm. For me, that's my business model. That's the customers I enjoy working with. Yeah. Obviously, we still have to keep the customers informed of where we are, but that's that's what works for us. The yeah. value-based billing, the thing that um, I think, you know, you defined it real well. You're the only one doing the work, and there tend to be smaller projects, and you're cherry-picking the projects, right? Did I say they tend to be smaller? You didn't. Maybe maybe I'm making that assumption. What would be what would be the typical size you'd be doing with value billing? Uh, size based on hours or well, I don't know if you're tracking your hours. But no, I don't track my. No, it's nothing to do with anything. Based on how many shoes you're able to buy. Right. Uh, I as, just to give you an idea, and I don't if this might sound like a lot of money or not. I'm not trying to. I don't know. Brag or anything, but. Um, you know, as a joke last year, I was having a hard time coming to a conclusion with a customer. What do you want? Uh, you know, we were having a hard time deciding how to approach the project. We knew what the problem was, but there's a bunch of different ways to solve it. And we had probably spent, he's a really nice guy, and I, I, I enjoyed doing it. We spent probably a week going back and forth, phone call every couple of days. And it was, a, it was a big project, in my opinion, especially for one guy. And uh, as a joke, I said, you know, for $200,000, I'll do anything. He was like, really? And I said, <laughs> So, that, hence the shoes. <laughs> and, and I hasten to add that it's not full-time work. So, you know, that's not bad. Point, uh, interesting point is, a year has passed and the project's not done. But it could go on for another whole year, and that would still be crazy money. Do you have an endpoint defined for that project? Uh, yeah, and, it's, and, and that's a... Another, there are a lot of important things about the way I set up the business that with, without which it would deflate. Uh, one of the things is that I don't, I, my, for that project I didn't have a proposal. I just set it over the phone and that was, that was it. The, um, the, most of my proposals are two pages long and the second page is never full. So I'll go through and I basically define the goals at, at a high enough level that the whole project fits on two pages. So what ends up happening is we never get into a discussion about, oh, I thought this value list was going to be over here. It doesn't happen. The business goal is I need my customers to be able to log into my, or, you know, the customer of my customers. My customer needs their customers to be able to log into their database and get these use cases done. And there are not many of them. It's like they need to register for classes. They need to be able to go here. They need to be able to go there. It's real vague, and I know that it's going to, no matter how much time I spent spending that out, we would still have been wrong. So really quick, Molly, how long are your proposals and how much effort do you put in them for clients? My proposals are pretty light also, like two pages, but then the first component of the proposal when they sign it is there's a needs analysis phase, and that's a paid phase. And then based on that, we do paper prototypes, I do a more detailed estimate. Since you're a creative writer, process. are your proposals usually in the ambit in town, the town area? <laughs> 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 so Kirk, 
Uh, very much similar to Molly. I, I, you know, I'll invest a little bit of time up front with a new customer to kind of get a feel for it. I'll try to get my ballpark if I can, but typically it's going to require a paid needs analysis phase. And even then, mm -hmm. what we come out with is an estimate. My whole paid needs analysis is something that you don't do, do you? Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> that's just kind of one of the big differences. Let the record from our from our conversations. Let the record show that you should be said no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, part part of my approach to this is I feel like what, at least what we're doing is new product development. Every project is something brand new, and what we say it is up front changes over time. Right. So that's one reason we take the approach we do. Yeah, it's, it's way more important to deliver the solution that the customer needs, not the solution that they thought they were. Right. Going to respect that. I mean, so, I've got so Jesse, how about you? Which which question? Well, actually, <laughs> <laughs> the seventh one. <laughs> oh, that one. How long is, are your proposals, and how much do you emphasize that when you do when you start a project? Um, well, we, we our work is kind of categorized mostly into most for the most part two. Mm -hmm. uh, one is oh, I think a lot of what we're talking about traditional kind of foundry development, and then the other we do a lot of custom plugin development. And the plugin development is a very different process for us. The nice thing for us. We really like custom plugin development, partly because a lot of these questions are so easy to answer. Unlike FileMaker development, where you've got all these UI questions and, oh, but I like this font better, and can you do that? Plugins are very discreet. It's like we want these six methods that have these five parameters, and it returns these things. And so it's very, very easy to spec up front exactly how it should work, and that's part of the essential design process. So what we do for plugins is we'll create an empty shell of a plugin with no functionality. We have an automatic tool that generates the documentation for that plugin as if you're going to use it. So we document the whole thing first. You know, the finished documentation is done first. We give that documentation to the client and say, is this what you want? And we get the price with it. And if they say, yes, that's what I want, then there's nothing to discuss at that point. And we just go through and we do it. Um, and at the end, it's going to be exactly what they had up front, except now it works whereas before it didn't. Okay. So what about for consulting projects? Do you have to Consulting projects, is a, it's the opposite end of that. Um, we, I hate writing proposals. <laughs> okay, who loves writing proposals? <laughs> <laughs> One hand. Jerry, right. you're getting all my proposals. <laughs> <laughs> write them all day long. <laughs> um, so I really try to, um, my, my approach to customers is to try to make them realize that what they think they want is nowhere close to what we're going to eventually wind up with and to tackle the project one very small piece at a time and then to do a fixed price project, which is based on hours, not like a value or anything. Um, but we, we estimate, not estimate, but we quote a fixed number of hours. So we, and we try to keep it under, you know, let's say, 20 hours, ideally under 10. Mm -hmm. And we'll say, to do this one item on your punch list, the very first piece that's going to be useful is going to be 12 hours. And you know, I mean, it might take us two, it might take us 25. <coughs> we actually have um, several bad experiences, one in particular, trying to do fixed price in very large projects, and it was awful. We had a project where we did $275,000. And again, we're thinking the same thing, 275000 who could spend that? Well, <laughs> we're, we're at about $450,000 worth of time right now. It's still working. Yeah. Um, well, Smart Publisher was a couple million in development. Yeah. <laughs> I would probably, just for the record, I would probably not take a project that big normally. Okay. It would need to be a very special customer. It's been actually, it's been a really good project for us. We've done a lot of hourly add-ons, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so you know, in many ways, it's been beneficial to us, even though we've kind of lost money on the overall quote amount. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're, we we really try to 
you know, some, we try to give the client some estimate of like how many zeros are we talking for your, for your big picture. Yeah. Um, but, then, but then we try to just attack it a small piece at a time with a fixed price on each, on each piece. And then the nice thing about that is that it's very easy. When you do a price on the overall project, um, it's very hard to go back to the client and say, oh, this is an S scope, so it needs to be more. But when you're doing fixed price on individual pieces, then it's much easier. The client is expecting you to come back to them and say, okay, we got that piece done. Now let's talk about the next piece. So when they're asking you to do more and more, you know they're already in that mind frame of expecting you to come back to them with the price for the next, next piece of it. The next question I had, uh, wanted to ask you guys was, whether you use a uniform approach to clients or you treat clients differently, how do you charge difficult clients more money? So it seems like, Jesse, for you, that would be sort of you have to answer that totally differently for your different types of clients, or maybe the plugin thing is similar. Is it? Um, I'd like to say that we don't do that. I mean, maybe if I really searched my soul, I would, uh, I, I would, I would come up with a different answer. The survey, really difficult clients, do you charge them more? I thought there would be a lot more hands in that. That's a little less than half. Did I get more of the one? Get more up front. Get more up front? Get more up front. A bigger, uh, bigger down payment? Okay. Just how about you, how about you guys? <laughs> just just work lighter. You wind up building more hours. Yeah. But clients take more time, so yeah, they pay more. Well, I mean, like I you charge us higher rate. rates. No, I don't trust oh. the rate. This I was going to say, I add, I add a lot more into project management. Because typically a difficult client is more demanding, needs more communication. Right. Needs so they're going to end up paying more just because they use more of your time. Yeah. But, but I guess what I was really thinking is, do you charge them a higher rate? Do you? I, I bet you do. Well, maybe. <laughs> 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 yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> So the reason that I actually don't feel bad about it is I walk into situations. I have there's some people that are really difficult to get along with, uh, and they've kind of gone through a lot of people. And for whatever reason, I click with them. I can work with them. I make other people cry, but they mind your part. <laughs> so when I walk into a situation like that, and again, I'm supposed to be the moderator here, but I actually don't have a problem charging them 25 or 50 bucks an hour more than I would charge another client. Because they know that they can't find somebody else to do it. <laughs> and, then I, and then I can, if I have to deal with their anger and whatever the other issues are, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, I, you know, I was able to buy some nice shoes that are almost as nice as. <laughs> well, why would you take that client? Because I click with them, so they don't. You know, whatever whatever they do to anger other people, it works for me. So it kind of goes to that thing we were talking about about. It's actually sometimes very, very good for you and the client to eject them and find another consultant. Mm -hmm. Because if you're doing yourself a favor, you're doing them a favor. And I've come across clients where I'm the guy who gets that other client. And uh, I've had really, those are some of my best clients like over time. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's tough for me to, I don't understand what you mean by a bad client. Like I have a long-standing rule that if I wouldn't want to hang out with my, you know, have beers with my customer, I can't work with them. Like that is not allowed. So as soon as I get one red flag there, no way. I then all of a sudden do you. <laughs> <laughs> My rate's four fifty an hour. I <laughs> <laughs> wish. Actually, it doesn't sound as good as your thing. So um, kind of going down the line, uh, I don't know if you, if you thought you mentioned that, Jesse. If you, if you take different approaches, it sounds like you kind of don't. What we'll do sometimes is we'll do a prepaid discount with clients, um, where you know, if they, if they pay more up front, we'll give them a lower hourly rate. And sometimes I might mention that to certain people and not to other people. Got it. So. <laughs> it's got the same effect. What about you? No, I don't. I, 
you know, some people say, well, senior person should charge more and a junior person should charge less. Yeah. And I say, you know what, we have some senior people, we have some junior people. I don't want to have to worry about how much is this and that. We just charge a flat really? rate. Sometimes you get senior, sometimes you get junior. But yeah, just a flat hourly rate Crazy. times the number of hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be, I know, I know that it works. That would be a nightmare to manage if you because the customer yeah. started asking for particular developers. And they yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. The typical plan so, I was thinking about was a plan I had some years ago that was a law firm. And the top dog at the law firm charged clients five hundred dollars an hour, and the new people charge one hundred twenty-five. Yep. And it's because of the experience and skill they brought to the table. But that's completely expected in a law firm. Yeah. It's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's maybe true. And I think that's fundamentally broken as well. Yeah. I, I think yeah. the whole concept of billing by the hour is ridiculous. Explain why. How do you really feel? <laughs> because because they're not buying your time; they're buying what you're giving them. And if it takes you, if you have a bad developer and a good, not not bad, but you have a slow developer and you have a fast developer, you should probably pay the fast developer. Uh, uh, no, no, no. If you have a slow developer and a fast developer who deliver the same product, is it worth more? No, it's the same thing. You know. I don't know. I mean, that's just the way I feel about you it. Can adjust the oh, yeah. more. You can I don't know if I agree. If 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 the, if the deadline of when the project gets done. And it actually is worth more to have the faster developer. Great. Someone said in the back, the fast one is worth more. Right. Even though it's the same thing. Right. So, so that guy's going to get paid less if he charges by the hour. Jonathan, here's the tricky part. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're, you're a one man band, right? Yes. Okay. That's so, a lot so you have no management level. Mm -hmm. Okay. The bigger companies here, they have a management level. They have to have a project management level by definition. So it becomes extremely hard to build based on value when you have no idea um, what kind of what kind of filtering is going to go on mm -hmm. and who the developers were actually working and mm -hmm. all sorts of complex payment things that are going on. So um, I am a one-man band and I bill that way. But I think and I think in general we as FileMaker developers should try to bill that way. But I think it's also at some level it gets very hard to bill that way. Um, totally agree. Because because of that. Right. So. But the, the, by the same token, I do agree with that, and I don't know, I don't believe, I don't know if it's my personality or if it's just impossible, but uh, the idea of managing people to do the work, I think, would really hurt the profits, you know, and the customer satisfaction, which is my ultimate goal. I want 100% customer satisfaction. I want them to love me, word of mouth, everything. I am for 98. Mm -hmm. I am for 98. It's not bad. So let's move on to. I think you, I know how you answer this, but I'll ask you: How do you handle the inevitable changes to the project? It sounds like you just sort of predict them in advance. Yeah, actually, I was—I I had a uh, no, no, not at all. No? How do you do it? Um, I had a phone call the other day, and something popped out of my mouth that I thought was really funny. Uh, They—I was being interviewed by Is it Ice Cube. Some folks from MIT were interviewing me. It was kind of in my backyard, so I was excited about the about the concept of getting on their list. And they're one of their. They have an internal consulting company, so they, they're in sort of consulting department, and they kind of go around and spec out all the projects that MIT needs, and then they find outside people to do it. And so they're they, they and they sent me a spec document for a project that was sixty pages long, and I was like, wow, I, I almost didn't want the project, but uh, anyway, the. The, one of the people in the, in the room who, whose whole job is to create these 60-page spec documents says, well, what do you do about change orders? I'm like, they're all free. They're just included. And she was like, 
well, how do you keep in business? And I was like, I charge a ton of money. <laughs> and, and she had the same reaction you did. And the thing about it is, the thing about it is, if you, at the beginning of the project, whether you know what the value is the customer, whether the customer knows what the value is to them or they don't, they subconsciously have a feeling of how much it's going to cost them, right? Like they all, everybody thinks it's only going to take 10 hours. You know, they have a feeling of how much work is involved. And, and then that translates into a dollar figure in their mind. So that's sort of their sort of, they might have an explicit budget or it might be subconscious. Uh, but what ends up happening is they can't, if you're giving them an estimate, they're going to compare it to that number in their head. And if the estimate is under that number, you probably maybe you'll get the get the gig. But the problem is the estimate in in my experience, and maybe I'm just a terrible project manager, the estimate's always wrong. So what ends up happening is they made a decision based on a number that you gave them, and it ends up not being the number. They the 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 pissed level goes like this as you get closer and closer to the number, and the project's obviously not done. Your life becomes full of stress. It's just it's horrible. And, I mean, think about it. You need to know how much something costs before you buy it. Right? Not if you can't define what it is you want. But you well, can I mean, define the goal. But like The goal you can define. They can always define the goal. You're talking about a car. If you're going to buy a car, mm -hmm. you know the price, and you know it's going to get you from point A to point B, and, um, you know, whatever else it's going to do for you. Mm -hmm. And so if you're thinking of pricing it like that, or like a can of Coke or something, you know, where it has values, the value... We're getting a little off topic. But sorry, sorry. But the, the, the point is, I don't mean to get all excited about it, but <laughs> the, the point is the customer always knows why they called you. They have a problem or they wouldn't have called you. And that is the thing that needs to be solved. Even if it doesn't get solved the way they want you to solve it or whatever, they are going to be totally happy if you fix whatever the problem was. And it's going to have a value to them. And maybe that value is not enough to compensate you in a way that you need to be compensated, but oftentimes it is. So uh, the problem that I have with that is that I mean, customers will call me and they'll say, "I need, uh, you know, I need leads management and I need sales and I have this and I, have, I want to track inventory. How much does that cost?" No, see, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, but I would immediately say, "Well, what are you really trying to do here?" Right. Because they've already picked a solution to a problem that they haven't articulated. Even if they, even if they have told me clearly what their goals are to accomplish. Um, there's a huge uh, a disparity in the minimal amount of work that can be achieve those goals, and and there's no such thing as a maximum, but a large amount of work that can be, you know, to achieve those. And if you have a different mental picture of how you're going to, what level you're going to go to meet those goals than their mental picture, you know, like for instance, I'm not a gooey person. I'm not a, I think I've said this enough that everyone pretty much knows that I'm not a graphics guy. Um, and so I'll do stuff for clients, and I think it's great because it's real fast and it works well, and the code is simple and elegant and clean. But they won't like it because they were expecting like textured Photoshop backgrounds and everything and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so you know that's where I'm saying that that's not inherently part of the goal, the problem that they're trying to solve. But they still have a certain expectation. And so I think you need to ascertain what that expectation is, even separately from meeting the goals that they've established, which the software may do. Mm -hmm. I, I usually, I do, I do recognize that, and it is true on almost every project that involves a, an interface. I do mostly web stuff, but it's the same same thing. And uh, I definitely sort of take the temperature early on. 
websites deal like the design of, and if they send me to like media template or something, or you know they send me to some like junk real estate website, then I kind of get the answer to that question. Yeah, that's a good question. Molly, how do you, how do you deal with change orders? Um, I typically will do same kind of thing. You know, we, we we're talking to the client up front. We know that we're making an estimate. The estimate's going to change. So what I've mostly been doing is basically selling a change order bucket. So kind of the same thing. If you say, hey, this is going to be a we think it's going to be $20,000, but we know right now that you're going to change your mind, we're going to get halfway through it, you're going to try it, you're going to want some changes, we're going to add $5,000 on as change orders. If we get to the end of it and you haven't used it, that's great, but I need you to budget for this much. And that's helped me a lot because then as you're going through it, you're not fighting for them to go back and get approval for more money, and, and I can still ask them the question, okay, you know, you changed your mind on this feature, can I, do you want me to just borrow some money from that change order? I really like that. Who else uses a cookie like that? Who's going to try it? Right? It sounds really yeah. good to me. Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I have actually talked about change orders in advance and say, here's the amount of money you might want to think about, even though you have no idea what they might be. Yeah. And so, sometimes they don't use it. I mean, right, some people right. are really cheap and they'll be like, oh, no, it's changing nothing. Yeah, right. But <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, the people who use it, they haven't been shocked by the tire. Bachelor number three? I take a similar approach. Uh, I think of one project recently I did a proposal and I just threw on an extra number of hours and I said these are for revisions. Now this happened to be a project where before we even submitted the proposal for phase one, they came to me and said, and as soon as you submit that the next day I want you to start working on you know proposal for phase two. I look to educate the clients that software is a dynamic process. You don't know what you want, and it's my job to help you figure that out. We're going, we're going on a journey together, and we don't have a clear map and a compass. Okay, you need to be prepared that the budget needs to have flexibility in order to get there. Ultimately, you're in control. We're at hourly. You want to stop at X number of hours? Fine, we'll stop. Okay, and if you tell me far enough advance that that's where you want to stop, then I'll try to make sure that you've got something usable when we get to that point. Right. But I want customers that are educated to understand it's a dynamic process. If they see it as, you know, going out and buying a car, they're not my customers. So how do I handle change orders? I add some hours in, but I also want the customer that expects flexibility on the billing side. I try to keep the scope of each piece small enough that there really aren't change orders. You know, and that they're always just additions. Uh, and so, you know, you can't, it, if you if you put out this big roadmap of everything that's going to do, then there's clearly going to be deviations from that roadmap. But if you just have this very kind of amorphous, okay, we know big picture of where we're eventually trying to get, but the only roadmap we're going to do is for 50 feet in front of us. Um, then, you know, you get to the end of that 50 feet and you say, where are we turning to now? And so, you know, keep it, not all customers are comfortable with that. But the ones that are, I think, wind up with a better quality product. That's actually the way I run my projects, but I don't, I don't charge for each chunk. Okay. That's yeah. the exact same thing. We have kind of a threshold. If it's like under three or four hours, we just say, I think this is a small change, and we'll just bill hourly. Mm -hmm. um, but what we try to do is we end, we hit the end of one fixed price piece, and then we say, okay, let's discuss the next piece that we're going to do. Okay, that's going to be say eleven hours. You know, again, we're trying to keep them in that over about ten hour range. So this is going to be about 10, this is going to be exactly ten hours for the next thing, and again, that's a fixed price. It could, you know, if we spend ten or nine or eight or fifteen, we're doing ten. Okay. Can I ask a follow-up question? Just on the customers that are not comfortable with kind of that fifty feet approach, mm -hmm. they're insisting on going further out. Mm -hmm. 
do you just not do the work or do you try to educate them? How do you approach those customers who are not comfortable with that? What we'll do in those cases <laughs> is that we will build, we'll try to get them a big picture estimate. You know, this, we think this is going to be a $35,000 project. And let's say they say, well, I don't want to hear that. I think it's going to be a $35,000. I want to know. Um, if we, at that point, we have to make a decision about whether we take it or not. If we think that we can do it, and, and you know we understand the goals very clearly, then what we'll do is we'll build them 20% of that estimate to write up a detailed analysis. So we would build them $7,000 up front, um, and, and then we'll write you know a, a fully detailed quote for the entire thing. Um, you know, and, and I always tell people, I say, I'll do it this way if you want to do it this way, but I'm going to charge you. And so to go to that question of the change order, in that case, I charge them for every single thing that's minorly different than the specified proposal because you know you put me in that situation. I did it your way, but yeah. So the different aspects of running a business, you've got project management, you know, dealing with the stuff up front. You've got um, um, prioritizing customer service and figuring out a lot of just the communication aspect, and then the fun part, the actual development part of it. How do you balance those three things plus the needs of your own personal happiness and time and the quality of your own life to get us over? Um, well, I'll start with the quality of life thing. I believe work hard, play hard. So, yeah, I do put in 12, 14-hour days, but then I'll take a week and go snowboard, okay? I, I don't believe in a 40-hour work week. Um, you have the seasons when you drive hard, and you have the seasons when you pull back. See, I believe in a 12 to 14-hour work week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just me. There's this book I read that actually really changed my thinking on this stuff called The 4-Hour Work Week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, I mean, it starts off with, if you want to live the life of a millionaire, first get a million dollars. And then he talks about everything he's sort of after that. He leaves that first step, you know, but, but it actually is a really... Okay, and there we go with our first half of this discussion. Join us next time, and you'll hear the second part. Thanks for listening.